Hey guys, welcome to the Professional Development Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 16th. This is episode 68. Today, uh, we're off-site. Uh, we got on a very special guest, Chief Amazement Officer at Shepherd Presentations, customer service and experience expert, Hall of Fame speaker for the National Speakers Association, New York Times and Wall Street Journal's best-selling author, including the most recent book, uh, which Brad and I both read, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. Shep, thanks for having us in your office. Man, great to be here. Yeah, this is World Headquarters. HQ? <laughs> HQ. Nice. So I did, and uh, this this actually wasn't written down in my notes for a question, but we were talking earlier. So my first question is actually, being a guy that is a, an expert on customer service and getting people to come back uh, in the customer experience, how the hell do you go through Spectrum <laughs> which is notoriously now, the shittiest customer service of uh, all time. I, I'm not going to diss them on the air here. <laughs> <laughs> Spectrum has been my cable provider for a long time, and I spread the love. I have Spectrum here. I have another provider across the street where I live. And so, uh, yeah, we spread the love a little bit. Spread the love. That's fair enough, right? Yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah. <laughs> So you were actually referred to us by another guest we had on, Dr. Jason Silk. And as people who are in the world of, you know, personal business development, how did two A players get connected? Uh, so I believe the first time I ever met Jason, he actually was speaking at an event for the Entrepreneurs Organization, of which I'm a member of. That's a worldwide organization of people that run their own businesses. Uh, they have to have a certain size business. It's a great group. Anyway, he blew it away already. It was unbelievable. And he and I met, and then a mutual friend of ours, Ben Newman, who you both know, mm -hmm. uh, he also uh, kind of helped facilitate an introduction. And since that time, we've been great friends. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, I guess one of the, I, I, we're obviously going to dive a lot into the book, but before we do that, like our mantra, I guess, is if you're not growing, you're dying. And we're all about personal and professional development. I know on your website, you've got some books that you recommend, but my question to you would be, how did you get your start into personal and professional development? Sure. And I wouldn't say what I do is true, what I would call personal development. I'm a customer service experience expert, and we do work with individuals. We will coach leaders on how to create that culture mm -hmm. and how to communicate with your employees to drive a better experience. But let's go back to the very, very beginning. Uh, my best coaches and mentors were actually my parents, and that's no joke. When I was 12 years old, I started my first birthday uh, party magic show business. It was my first business, entrepreneur. And I remember it was a Wednesday afternoon. My mom picks me up from school, drops me off in front of this house. I take this big box of magic tricks in, entertain a bunch of screaming kids for about a half an hour, 45 minutes. I get paid a whopping $16. I was 12 years old. It was a long time ago. $16 back then was like $2,412 today. It was a long time exactly. ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so uh, I come home and and my mom, because it was a school night, she goes, now what are you going to do after dinner? And I thought, homework. And I, nope. She goes, not till you write a thank you note. And that was the first true customer service lesson. They were always teaching me to say thank you because it's the polite thing to do. Yep. But the idea was you're thanking a customer that just paid you all that money to perform for their kids. And my dad said, that's a great idea, but next week, call them after they've received the thank you note and thank them again and then uh, ask them if they like the show. And yep. they'll give you feedback. And get really specific. What tricks did you like the best? And if you do this enough times and you ask that same question, you'll hear some of the same tricks over and over again. You'll also notice they're not talking about certain tricks. Those are not memorable. He says, take them out of the show and replace them with tricks that are better. 
Now, little did I know, that's all about customer service and customer experience, process improvement, getting feedback, listening to the customer, and acting on that feedback. So that, that's a pretty powerful lesson to learn when you're 12. Now, I had no idea what that really was other than just doing the right thing. So I've always believed that everything I teach, and sometimes it's pretty sophisticated, and I pay a lot of money to get data and stats and facts uh, when we do our annual surveys, but it's really simple when it comes right down to it. You, you got a customer on the front side, and when you're done with them, you want them to be happy. Nothing has changed in business. That's the way it always has been mm. and the way it always will be. What's changed is what's in between. Now we, we have digital platforms. We can communicate you know, many different ways, social media, chat, text, um, uh, an app. There's so many different ways that we can uh, interact with our customers. But back in the day, that was how I did it. That was where I got my start. Now, let's cut to college. Went to college, thought when I got out of college, I might work for the family business. They owned some gas stations. Now, you may say that's not a very exciting business, but when you're young and you tell, you know, like you're trying to meet somebody, oh, she goes, what do you do for a living? I'm in the oil business. Yeah. <laughs> I don't tell her I pump gas, okay. But uh, how do you think I got my wife? Okay, <laughs> there you go. So, but seriously, I thought that I might go into that business when I got out of college, but they sold the company like right when I was getting out of college. Now I don't have a job. So I go to see two motivational speakers, Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. Mm -hmm. Talk about personal development. Now, Tom is all about sales. And he wrote a book called How to Master the Art of Selling. I bought it that night. This is in 1983, I believe. Okay, long time. Before you guys were even born. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I know I don't look that old because I don't have gray hair that you see. Neither and does Matt. Same. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Bald same, guys look same like- Same stylist. Yeah, and by the way, bald guys look young for the longest time because, and then one day they just look old. Like when they're really old, they start looking old. But otherwise, we can hold it together. It's good. Anyway, I digress. So I, I saw Tom Hopkins. I bought that book and Zig Ziglar, Personal Development. He had a goal setting program called See You at the Top, about setting your goals and making things happen. And I bought that audio cassette. You may, guys may not remember. Those are little yeah. cassette tapes mm -hmm. that they put in the, yeah. Heard of okay. them. You yeah. heard of them, great. Anyway, I listened to those the very first night. I read that book cover to cover. Now we're in Clayton, Missouri, where I live. It's part of St. Louis, Missouri. And less than two blocks away is World News. I don't know if you know about that newsstand that's right there. It's been there since I was a little kid. Well, after reading that book and listening to those tapes, I said, I'm gonna do this for a living. I need a list of customers. So I went up to World News, literally two blocks from here, and I bought every business magazine they had. I tore out all the full page ads. And then there was no internet back then. I went to the library and I looked up the phone numbers and who all the executives were at these different companies. And I made this target list of 200 people. And I just started smiling and dialing until I booked my first speech. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's how it all started. And I wanted to always speak on customer service. Uh, that's I went to the bookstore, and back then uh, there was a bookstore not too far from here, and they had one shelf of business books. Where today you can see racks and racks of them. And I was drawn to all of the customer service type books that were being printed. Yeah. There was three or four of them, and I bought those. And so I just that's how the career really started. And uh, my love for the idea of customer service and what my parents taught me, and the fact that I'd had jobs uh, when I was in college and worked in gas stations, but I also worked in restaurants and, and I worked, I still kept my business going with the magic shows. I graduated from birthday party magic shows to nightclubs and corporate events. Matter of fact, when I was 16, very proud to say this, 
Uh, I was doing comedy and magic at the Playboy Clubs, which oh, is an go. unbelievable job wow. for a 16-year-old young man. Yeah, still, that would have some good stories from that. You sure. still got any ends there? Uh, is, there <laughs> I, is that a pun? Uh, so, <laughs> so you don't know what you just said. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. No. No, no uh, the, the Playboy Clubs, there aren't many of them around anymore, um, but that was a lot of fun way back then. Yeah. Something, something that's interesting for us doing these podcasts is you mentioned Zig Ziglar, and Andy Frisella is somebody who had we had on the podcast, yes. also another St. Louis mm-hmm. guy, and we asked him the same question that Matt just asked of, you know, how, what got you started into this? And his he had the exact same answer as was the Zig Ziglar tapes. He said he listened to them until they didn't play anymore. Oh, my gosh. I did. And then they got so bad that I actually had to put one in. They used to be able to buy these side-by-side cassette players so you can record off one onto the other. I wore it out. So before it completely wore out, I made a copy of it so I could keep listening to it again. Yeah. again. <laughs> so that brings me to, after reading your book, I, I own my own business, as does Matt. I deal with a lot more customers um, <laughs> than uh, Matt probably does on a reoccurring basis, I would say. I have a lot of like individual customers mm-hmm. that I want to come back uh, time after time. And a lot of people overlook that. A lot of my competitors are, are old school in that aspect of there really is no customer service. And I've tried to implement that. Why are why is there so many organizations that just overlook wow. customer service in general? I don't understand it uh, because everything you read about uh, when you get these surveys from different leaders and companies, and some of them are small and some are big, uh, I'm shocked to hear that again and again because they all say, oh, we're going to invest in customer service. Here's what the problem is. They invest based on a competitor and not on what the customer wants. And what you want is different than what the competition's going to offer. What you want is based on the best experience that you ever had from any company anywhere, whether it be uh, Amazon, the restaurant down the street, or it could be if you're in the B2B world, it could be some manufacturer, some vendor that has an inside sales rep that's just amazing. So that's who creates the expectation and sets the bar in a customer's mind is their experience. And yet these companies that try to create an experience, look at what their competitors are doing and think that that's what they are competing with. So I think that's part of the problem. They also don't recognize that you can't say, hey, everybody, let's just go give great customer service. There's two or three angles you have to hit. Number one, you've got to have it in the culture. So it it's not like, I always say customer service is not a department. It's part of a culture. It's the philosophy of the company, mm-hmm. all right? So everybody's involved with the culture, not just somebody on the front line. And for it to truly be a customer-focused company, that, that's what has to happen. Number two, you can't stick uh, somebody in front of a video training course. By the way, we sell video training courses. <laughs> but one of the things we tell our clients is that you can't just watch it once. You have to go through it again and again. And so we've created a series of courses that say the same thing many different ways. So it looks a little different and it's a little more entertaining for them to uh, engage in. So it's not training. Uh, and you know, I know we have a mutual friend or at least somebody that you know of, Brad Lee. You listen mm-hmm. to his podcast. Brad's comment, and I love it. He says training, and he has a training company. And we host our training, uh, our online training on his platform. And he used to be in the sales business, car sales primarily. And he said, until somebody listened to my program seven times, I could not believe they actually knew what they were talking about. Seven times is a lot, but I get it. He was that that strict, but he used to say, training isn't something you did, it's something you do. It's ongoing, it's all the time. So that's another mistake that, that companies make. And the other mistake is, back to the culture side of it, is instead of just creating the culture and then training people properly, they seem to only think they need to train the front line. 
Yeah, okay. It's like I go to the dentist office and I see this poster. Which teeth should I floss? And the answer is only the ones you want to keep, okay? So which people should I train in a company? Only the ones you want to give great customer service. And you need to recognize that internally, you have internal customers. Those are the people you work with. And if you don't treat them the right way, you can't expect these people to go out and do the best job for the outside customer. What's happening on the inside of a company is felt on the outside by customers. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And that was actually going to be one of my questions because so I many, that. so many, you already, you read my notes ahead of time, didn't <laughs> I you? I know things. Yeah, <laughs> it's magic, right? <laughs> yeah, but so many people think of like customer service as those frontline people is the people that are just inner, whether it is customer success or some are account managers mm -hmm. or whatever. It's everything. If you've got a product or service or software or whatever it is, it's like if the people aren't happy about their jobs and you don't instill yep. that in them, it's going to carry over to every single department. So let's talk about that. I want to hit two things. I want to talk about that internal customer who takes care of somebody else and <clears throat> doesn't realize their role is so important, okay? Um, when I, and, and then the other thing I want to get to is is the second part of that, which is how you make your, your people happy or unhappy and, and the impact that has, uh, which is, We've been talking a lot about this whole uh, great resignation thing. So mm -hmm. let me get back to that. And if I kind of go off on a tangent, reel me in. Sure. So um, years ago, I read an article by a gentleman named Jan Carlson, who wrote a book eventually titled Moments of Truth. And he defined the moment of truth as any time a customer comes into contact with any aspect of a business, they form an impression. He ran an airline that was losing money, and he turned it around to be one of the most admired and successful airlines in the world, Scandinavian Airlines. And he gathered all of his people together. He went to every city they had a presence and he went to an airplane hangar and he had hundreds and hundreds of people in each audience. And he talked about managing these moments of truth that the passengers are gonna interact with us. And then he said, if you're not dealing directly with the passenger, you're supporting somebody that is, or you're doing something behind the scenes. And he gave examples of what a typical passenger goes through. They make a reservation. This is long before the internet was around. Uh, they check their bags at the curb. They go inside to the ticket counter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then he said, but when that bag, you check the bag and it goes down in the conveyor belt, somebody picks it up, they look at a tag and they put it on the right cart. That cart goes out to the plane. Somebody loads it. Maybe there's two or three people that do that. Basically six, seven, eight people might touch that bag behind the scenes before it actually gets to the baggage carousel at the destination. If one of those people make a mistake and it doesn't get on the right plane, what happens? The customer has a problem. Now that person who works in the baggage department never ever sees the passenger, yeah. yet they have tremendous impact on the passenger. Furthermore, and I add this, that that person behind the scenes who mismanaged the bag has an internal customer. Mm -hmm. And this one, and Jan Carlson <clears throat> didn't talk about this, but I realized, where does a person go to when they don't get their bags? To that little office that's just off the side of the baggage carousel yeah. at an airport. And by the way, nobody ever walks into that <laughs> office happy. No, no, no never. you don't go in there and say, hey, I got my bag. You guys are awesome. No, no they go in there. You don't have my bag. I'm going to get you, okay? So, every time, every, every time. time. So that poor soul that sits behind the desk, he or she is sitting there going, oh my God, here comes another one. Why can't these people do their job who, you know, are handling the bags? So there's an internal customer as well. And of course, 
Uh, we need to manage these experiences. So recognize, and this is a really cool exercise, to create a journey map of all the touch points that the customer has with you. And, you know, for example, you make a reservation. Well, that's a major touch point. Uh, you check your bag at the curb, another major touch point. Well, what happens behind the scenes to drive those touch points? Mm -hmm. And that's where you start to recognize that every single person in your company, no matter how big or small the organization is, has some impact on that end experience that the customer has, somehow, some way, and we track it. I don't care if there's 100 people, 5 million people in a company, we can show everybody has some responsibility in the customer experience department. Um, now, let's talk about those employees yeah. that aren't so happy. I This is a huge <clears throat> issue today where people are struggling, companies are struggling to keep good people. And we talk about it. And I asked them straight up front, do you think they're working for a paycheck or are they working for the company? What do you mean? And I said, well, do you pay them what they're worth or do you, like a typical call center customer support person, just because we're talking about that. Could yeah. be any role, could be retail. Part of the problem is they're low paid. Yeah. And sometimes in the customer service world in that department, it's stressful because nobody ever calls you again to say, hey, I'm so happy, just wanna let you know, goodbye. No, they call because they have, sometimes it's just a nice question and we can help them. But when they complain, we just did a survey, uh, it's our, we do an annual survey and I asked the question, never asked it before, I can't wait to ask it. Cause I think uh, I asked how many people, uh, or, or, or have you ever yelled at a customer service rep? 40% admitted to saying yes. Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, <laughs> whenever they admitted, yes. No. By the way, I believe that sixty percent are lying. Oh yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's not sixty, but it's a high number. But then I was shocked. The follow-up question later in the survey: Have you ever cussed at a customer support rep? And thirty-three percent said yes. And I think that number is probably pretty accurate. Maybe yeah. a few more. I was surprised it was they. Were, I was willing to get that high of an answer. But think about it: these people are getting you know yeah. yelled at and cussed at and. And anytime that happens, uh, it takes a certain personality to do that anyway. And by the way, all the money in the world can't take away the stress that you're experiencing, just can make it easier at the end of the day to know you're going home to a nice home because you can afford it. But here's the point, retail, Walmart, Target, Amazon, they're all getting criticized for the working conditions that they're putting their people through and making them work on evenings and weekends. And that's why everybody's quitting. Well, this year, actually recently, uh, maybe early, late last year, uh, maybe it was early this year, uh, the statement came out, an article, Target has the lowest turnover of employees in the last five years, in the middle of the great resignation. Yeah. How can that be when everybody's complaining about retail and load wages? They pay their people well, they give them incredible benefits, and if you're willing to work evenings and weekends, you get extra money, and that's an incentive, and people love that. I'm not saying that that's keeping people you know, properly staffed in a store, but it is a good start. Uh, Amazon, who's been criticized a lot lately for working conditions. I happened to be in an Uber not long ago, and I said, so do you do this full-time? He goes, no, I work for Amazon. I go, and you're supplementing your income. He goes, oh no, they pay me really well. They especially pay me if I'm well, if I'm willing to work on the weekends. I go, how do you like working there? He goes, well, if you're willing to work hard, it's a great place. They push you, but man, they pay you well. The benefits are great. And I'm thinking, well, what about all this bad press? So I asked him about it. He goes, those are the people that don't like to work hard yeah. that are complaining. Even Disney, one of the greatest companies in the world, there's people out there that will talk about the dark side of Disney and yet most of the people I talked to that ever worked there said it's the greatest experience they ever had. Yep. Maybe they don't pay them 
as well as others, but a lot of people who work at Disney love the culture so much that it's worth working there. Yep. No, and we see that with a lot of companies and talking about Any for Sale and Supplement Superstores, there's a lot of people that can, that like bitch and complain about working there because like they work them hard and they have high expectations. But again, it created such a culture where you have an opportunity to climb up the ranks. There's growth opportunity. Mm -hmm. They take care of their people. Like there's all these benefits and perks and those for those that are willing to work, they reap the benefits. And those that want to just get by with the job, they just don't accept that. And they're right. going to be stagnant in that position or they're going to have to get out. So there's, uh, I wrote a book a while back called The Amazement Revolution. And one of the interviews was with a gentleman named, uh, uh, his last name's Keeley. I can't, Brian Keeley, Brian Keeley. He is the CEO of a major medical system down in Southern Florida. Lots of hospitals, lots of offices. And he says, I want to create something called destination employment. Or yeah, he wants to be a destination employer. And what that means is when you come to work at his medical system, Baptist Health South, you will never want to go to work anywhere else. They want to create this environment that is fulfilling for every employee that exploits them for their best talents. And he says, if they come here and they stay here forever and we make it so they want to, they're going to engage better with the patients and their families. And that's the whole idea. If you take care of people on the inside, they're going to take care of people on the outside. Herb Kelleher, first CEO of Southwest Airlines, said uh, when he was asked, which is more important, your shareholders who you know, invest in you, your passengers who pay money for your, you know, flights or the employees. And he thought about, it, he said the employees, because if the employees are happy, then they'll take care of the passengers who will then fly on the airline again, who will then make the shareholders happy. And something in customer service that I think gets overlooked often is most people are thinking of it as a defensive thing. It's, it's something mm, you're doing yep. after a customer's already upset. What are items that uh, an employer or a business can do on the offensive for customer service? Okay, so first of all, back to my uh, original premise, customer service is not a department, it's a philosophy. Everybody needs to operate with a level of service, whether it be an internal customer or outside customer. So customer service is not something you do when there's a problem or who you call when there's a problem. There might be a department mm -hmm. that manages those complaints. I actually think a better name for that customer service or support department would be revenue generation department because, or customer retention and more revenue generation department because what happens if they do their job well, they're training customers, don't call and complain. If there's something that's wrong, tell us, we'll fix it. Just, we're gonna be here for you. I went today, I looked at a, a company that I was gonna talk about in a podcast and I looked at all of the their Better Business Bureau complaints. Every single one was addressed satisfactorily. <laughs> They're an online mail order business or mail order uh, with a monthly subscription where you buy something and every month it comes. And sometimes people would cancel their subscription and there might be a month or two of lag before somehow it stopped. And they would, instead of calling the company and complaining, they would go straight to the Better Business Bureau and say, this company's charged my credit card twice more than they should have. And as soon as it happens, I mean, I'd hate to think they're doing this on purpose, hoping that people would notice. I don't think that's the case, but they addressed every single one in such a way that made me feel really good. And this is a company that's known for great service. So I would say this is such of the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest percentage of their customers that are making these types of complaints. But here's the point. Uh, service, again, you, you sell with service, you operate with service, you lead with service. But when the customer has a problem, they call or they text, or perhaps you've created some digital 
um, type of solution, like on a computer, you might have a website, you might have a knowledge base of answers. Uh, I won't tell you the name of the company, but their initials are Salesforce. <laughs> and Salesforce is a great CRM uh, and customer relationship management software. And I remember years ago when I was switching, the little tiny company like mine switching to this major software package on Salesforce, um, they, uh, they, I was talking to the people like, if I call, how do I get customer support? What's the best way? Am I gonna have to do a ticketed type of thing where I have to wait six hours to get somebody to respond? They said, do this. Just go to Google and type, how do I do whatever the question is on Salesforce? And instantly videos came up, videos from Salesforce and videos from customers who wanted to share their answers to how they handled it. And I went, wow, this is great. I typed in another question. I never have to call customer support again. If it's something that like, how do I set something up? How do I, it's unbelievable. And if you teach your customers to use those resources, it's not that you don't want them to ever call you. You do when there's a problem they can't resolve, mm -hmm. but it's something that they can resolve on their own. By golly, let's give them the easiest, fastest, quickest way to do it. Um, this year, our survey indicated that it, last year, I believe it was 43% maybe, I'd have to guess, 41 or 43% of customers went to a digital first option to get answers or deal with any problems they had which, and the rest of them, 50 some odd percent, 58%, whatever it was, went to the phone first. This year, I, I think part of it was the pandemic made people just want to talk to people, yeah. <laughs> yep. especially when we were in quarantine and they got used to that. The number of calls that went up to a typical customer support world that had a good online uh, solution went up by 30% during that first year of the pandemic. So last year was year two, people are still in the mode. So we saw a little bit more of a downturn in the digital uh, reaction. Did I wanna go digital first or phone first? And a little bit less digital, uh, a little bit more phone. And by the way, the baby boomers, the older generation are driving the phone uh, stat up a little bit higher because the Gen Zs and the millennials, they're happy to use technology. Sure, yeah, and so when you're talking about some of these uh, solutions in terms of customer service, doesn't seem like a lot of wow moments, right? It doesn't seem like there are these big grandiose efforts to uh, to keep the customer and you talk about that in your book. So I guess that's kind of the question well, that I yeah. wanted to ask, like why you shouldn't necessarily have a strategy of just always, it's every impossible. single time. It's yeah. impossible to wow somebody every time they call. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm calling to get my bank balance. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> You know, it just doesn't happen. But what if whenever the customer called to get their bank balance, and by the way, they could go and get a digital, you know, go online and, and check the bank balance. But if they called, that the first thing was they didn't have to wait on hold for 30 minutes. They got in within a minute or so. And then the person was really nice. And maybe they had a system that had voice recognition. And if this person had ever called before and agreed to voice recognition, that person gets authenticated within the first 10 words that they say. And then maybe this, this agent just simply asks one other confirming question. But what they don't ask is for your social security number, your mother's maiden name, your dog's first name, whatever it is. Yeah. They don't ask all those crazy questions. And then they quickly, because they know who this person is, the computer automatically brings up on the screen the customer's data and immediately that customer gets taken care of. That's an amazing experience. But the customer just thinks, well, that was very good and very efficient and very nice. Thank you very much. So here's my idea about amazement. You can't wow a customer, but you can amaze them all the time. What you can do is make sure that every 
uh, interaction they have is at least a tiny bit, little bit better than average, ever so slightly. Because what you want customers to say is, they're always friendly, they're always helpful, they're always knowledgeable, they always get back to me quickly. Yep. The word always followed by something positive. So uh, yeah, that's a really good point. And, and we talk a lot about like how to make the customer happy. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got the unhappy customers. And mm -hmm. most people, I think, at least when they think about the unhappy customer, it's like, okay, let's just forget about them. Let's get past it. Let's move on to the happy person. But you really think that we should take inventory of those unhappy customers. Why is that? Yeah. So, well, I think you take inventory of both the happy and the unhappy, but let me explain what I mean. If you get somebody that complains that has an issue, you have an opportunity to learn from that. Uh, if somebody, when you ask them for feedback, is willing to give you an open-ended verbatim response as to why they gave you the score they gave you, I think that's really important to listen to, especially if it's a low number because you learn from history, you learn from mistakes and you can fix those. When I talk to clients and they go, I, they tell me about, I'll ask them, what's the most common moment of misery? That's what I call these, these moments on these issues. Yep. What's the most common moment of misery? that you have. And they tell me, go, how often does it happen? Oh, it happens all the time. I go, why? You know, just here, I'm two words. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> There's, if you want to have some fun, look at this Bob Newhart video called Stop It. It's an old, I don't know if you know who Bob Newhart is, a comedian actor, uh, but it's on there. He just, I think may have recently died. But anyway, he, he had this skit and, and this gal came in and she complained about something. And he goes, okay, stop it. That's all you're gonna tell me? Yeah, so here's the point. If you know a problem's happening again and again, what can you do to eliminate it, mitigate it, or train your people in such a way to respond that make sure that that customer knows how to deal with it next time the right way so it doesn't happen again? You have a chance to do that. If a customer writes a nasty letter to you, typically what happens is you go to the person that caused the problem, you explain to them what happened, you try to make it may hopefully a teaching opportunity and not a you know chance to beat them up and send them out unhappy. Yep. But what happens when you get a happy customer sending you that same type of letter, a positive, you know, hey, this is great, you know, so-and-so took care of me. What do you do then? You go over, you congratulations, and you put the letter in their file and that's it. I think both of them require a debrief that asks, why is this happening, okay, good or bad? And if it's bad, what we, can we do to prevent it? And if it's good, what can we do to operationalize it? Because many times when somebody gives us a compliment and they tell us why, oh, that's really nice, but it's, it shouldn't be a one-off. It should be something that we train our people when the opportunity is there to do again and again and again. So we need to debrief both the unhappy and the happy or the negative and the positive and the complaints and the accolades. So in all of your books, your speaking engagements, business dealings, you've experienced several situations where people have came to you and said, we need help with this. Um, I'm sure you could tell us hundreds of success stories, but can you give an, us an instance of a time where somebody did not listen to you and they had a failure that happened because of it? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, um, so... We we worked with a client. Uh, they were a retail chain, probably about 600 units uh, around uh, the, I'm going to say, uh, west and and uh, northwest. And they uh, they were just having a terrible time with customer service. And we talked about what they can do. And so we said, let's create a mystery shopping program. And so they did. And they went in and I'll, I, I'm going to try to remember this exactly how it happened, but the way it got back to me and the, when they implement, when they went from mystery shopping to full blown, got to change everything training is when 
the mystery shopper went in and did their job, okay? And unfortunately, mystery shoppers, if they aren't good, become easily identified and they're no longer a mystery. So the employees know who a mystery shopper is sometimes when they walk in. That's such a mystery. Anyway, the uh, somebody on the board of this company went in and said, I can't believe you guys you know, are acting this way. Your store looks like crap. Um, don't you realize you're getting mystery shopped? And the manager said, oh yeah, that mystery shopper was in a few days ago. We don't have to worry about them for another month. I know, I'm looking yeah. at your eyes yeah. and, and they're big, okay? Right. It's like, you don't believe what I, and I don't believe it either. So that prompted them to go to the next level, which is, okay, obviously we're having some real problems. By the way, what we did is because uh, I, I couldn't wait to do a program for 600 stores. We could have the managers and assistant managers all go through online training. I could train a team of trainers to go out and implement uh, our, our ideas into there. But I said, this is how we're gonna do this. We're gonna take five stores, just five. I want two rock stars. I want one that's average. And I want two that are like your worst performing stores with customer service ratings. I wanna take those five managers and assistant managers and I want them to go through a day with my trainer and then follow up training with them uh, like once a month for maybe an hour. And if they do what we say we're gonna do, let's watch what happens. Now, what was really interesting is that the top performing stores stayed at the top and maybe they continued to be amazing and they were so fired up about the training, okay? Yep. The middle guy, the average one, stayed an average. The ones that were struggling, they looked at this as an opportunity to get out from the bottom mm -hmm. and they seized it and they actually went above the guy that was in the, the middle. middle. So I, I <clears throat> so we recognize, uh, and by the way, most of the clients that call me, they don't need help. They want sustainability, which is yeah. pretty cool. You know, they're, they're trying to always stay at the top of their game. The ones that do need help, um, sometimes, um, you know, it works and sometimes it doesn't because in order for it to really work, they have to understand that training isn't a Band-Aid. Again, it's not something you did, it's something you do and it's ongoing. We had one client, uh, they were like a, a manufacturer of cardboard, um, big boxes and that type of thing. And we went in to do our pitch and we had three or two out of the three owners in the room. We said, where's the other one? Ah, he's not on board with this. I go, well, you know what? I'm just gonna stop right here because we're never gonna be able to pull this off if all three of you aren't in alignment. And I mean real alignment, because it's gonna, if one person knows that one of the owners, the executives, whatever C-level this person was, is not into this, it gives permission for everyone else. I'll, I'll use an example. Uh, I always talk about, uh, I have this, this uh, six-step process and the uh, fourth step of the process is that leaders and creating a customer-focused culture, leaders have to demonstrate what they want everyone else to do. Yeah. And you've really got to wear it on your sleeve and have it in your heart and walk the talk. Uh, Walt Disney, many years ago when he was alive, uh, and by the way, he never even saw Disney World in Orlando. He saw where they were going to build it, but he never saw the finished product. His brother Roy took care of that. Anyway, so he's out in LA or Anaheim walking through the park and, they, and he used to walk through the park and everybody knew that was Walt Disney walking through the park. All the cast members, their employees, oh, there's Walt Disney. And he would look around and wave. And if he saw a piece of paper on the ground, he would stoop down, pick it up and throw it away. Mm -hmm. And he used to say that if he didn't do that, he gave permission to everyone else not to do that mm -hmm. as well. And he called that stooping to excellence, which I love that concept, mm -hmm. stooping to excellence. 
because you're willing to stoop down to whatever level you need to do to make sure that there's an excellent experience. And if cleanliness, which is what that theme park was known for, and one of the reasons Walt Disney built Disneyland to start with is he wanted his kids and everybody else's kids in the world to experience a safe and clean theme park because his kids and he or earlier did not have that good yeah. experience. It's actually a great story. It is. They're yeah. thawing them out now, aren't they, though? They're thawing them out, and they're hopefully going to bring them back. Yeah. Because we need a little <laughs> of that Disney in That's us. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, I know uh, I know we're kind of running on time. We don't want to push it. but um, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm having a good time. You having a good time? Oh, yeah. Good, for sure. Good. We have that. Where's the food? Where's the drinks? Where, where, that's afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's afterwards, right? <laughs> yeah. We're going uh, over your place. Yeah, we uh, we should do one of these where we just do the drinks beforehand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wait, wait, why do it before? Why not do it while we're doing wow, it? Wow, yeah, because more and more interesting. That's what we need to yeah. do for sure. <laughs> yeah. So did uh, I know I've got an OnlyFans question? Um, did you guys have Did you guys have anything else on your list? Um, something that I had is is we've we've kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, and I noticed this when we were sorry to keep bringing up Andy Frisella, but the culture he's instilled in people there was like, for me, it really. Uh, resonated with it's me. working yeah you know yeah. they had people there who literally sit down they write handheld notes every single day and uh after doing that that's something that i started implementing in my business and uh, it was funny because i'm listening and reading your book uh last week and one of my customers wins a race down in florida and i i pull out my little letter and i you know i say congratulations and i throw in some stickers to him and send it off in the mail and i'm like well i must be doing something right if somebody's writing a book about this and you know it's in large organizations mm -hmm. so i i don't know if i want to say thank you but uh, at least let me realize that I'm, I'm on the right track. Yeah, you are 100%. So uh, in the other room uh, here, there's on the wall, a framed picture of a thank you note. And if you've watched some of my videos on YouTube, I there's an old video, I call it Vintage Shep, um, probably about 15 years old, of me telling a story about a taxi cab driver. And at the end of the trip, the guy got a big tip. He was amazing. He, and I mean, just like you would imagine, it was more like a limousine ride than mm -hmm. a taxi ride other than he didn't look like your, I mean, he looked like a bum. It had been a long day. He was all messed up. And it's, anyway, I digress. Uh, I get home and four days later, I get a thank you note from this guy. Sometime during that trip, and I remembered, he said, hey, do you have a business card? I collect the people's cards that I drive. Yeah. And I gave him my card and he gave me his and told me to call him when I come back to Dallas. And I never thought he was gonna take my card and write me a thank you note, but I was absolutely blown away. And I frame that card and I talk about it in many of my speeches that the power of something so simple, a handwritten card. I've got behind me two or three handwritten cards that were sent to me. Uh, one I'll never forget. Uh, a client of mine sent me a card thanking me uh, for what I did. It was the most friendly, nicest card that anybody's ever sent to me. It, it blew me away. And by the way, I sent the card to him, but I didn't expect him to send a card to me. I mean, he paid me to do my yeah. job. Uh, but isn't that cool? This attitude of gratitude. I think it's a really important thing to have. And if you can demonstrate it through something as simple as a, and by the way, people like to communicate differently. So you can do thank you cards, you can text people, but it's gotta be personal. If that's the way somebody likes to communicate by texting, text them. You can even send an email, but if you do it right, it's personal and it doesn't matter if it's it's digital and not quite thank you note of a handwritten note. But but the handwritten note does have a pretty powerful. Yeah, place. sure. How about video? Have you sent a thank you video? I haven't done that, but uh, one of our other hosts, Bobby, he actually talks about sending videos all the time. Right. So there's a company out there called Bomb Bomb Video. B O M B B O M B, bombbomb.com, 
And you can, for a very inexpensive subscription, send videos. And it's real simple. You, you got your video camera on your, your phone or on your computer, and you just type in their email address and push the red button. It starts recording. You go, hey, it's Shep here, but you probably knew that. Thank you very much. You know, whatever. Yeah. And it's very, very personal. Gotcha. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I wrote that down. We've been jinxing a lot. Lately. I know. Yeah. Mind waves. Yep. Um, so I think uh, I kind of want to skip to, so we've got our fans. We call them the only fans. Uh, and we typically let them ask a question. A lot of times they'll do research on mm -hmm. somebody that whoever, um, whoever we're going to have on as a guest. So this one is from Lars from Denmark. So we're actually huge in Denmark. Finland, Norway, Sweden. We're like top 20 business podcasts in all wow. of Scandinavia. Congratulations. Yeah, so mm -hmm. pretty big. Uh, uh, so I guess Lars has a question. I guess he did some homework on you. He says, if this is going to be on YouTube, can we see a magic trick? <laughs> <laughs> can we see a magic trick? Can we do one for the camera? Sure. Um, let's see. What do I have here? Um, <laughs> so there is a deck of cards. Over there. Uh, you see them on top of the... Great. Those are the trick ones. Well, yeah. they might be. Is that a regular deck? Let me see. Um, what? Uh, actually, that's not a full deck. I'm going to need the next one. Uh, is that a full deck? That might be. Yeah. Let me, let me check. Yeah, that's a full deck. Okay. This is real simple. Which camera shall I point to? Which one's, which one's going? This, this one, one right one here. All right. I'm going to do this. And, I, and, I, and I'll hold it. Uh, so... <laughs> We've not. <laughs> Hold on. Can you point that camera to me just so you can see my face? Sure. Whenever, sure. Whenever it reacts. All right. Here we go. Magic trick. Take one. And <laughs> this has not been prepped in any way. So who wants to pick the card? Yeah, I give it to Matt. You ask questions. Matt. Okay. Go for so it. here's the deal. I'm not even going to have you touch the card. Okay. I just want you to think of a card. But don't think of an easy one like an ace of spades. Wow, or, that's my fucking card. I know, I know. <laughs> I swear to you God. You got to pick a different that card. That was my card. You got to pick a different Look, card. You already did it. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's and, it. And, and okay. don't pick a king. Okay. That's too obvious. Yep. I want you to make it a really hard card. Okay. Okay? Yep. Got it? Mm -hmm. Lock it in your mind. Sure. I'm going to make sure, I want you to look at this. The, can you see the cards in the camera? They're not going to leave your sight. The name of your card? Three of clubs. Are you sure? 100%. It wasn't the nine of diamonds. Yes. Damn. No, no, I'm just kidding. Let me show you something. You said three of clubs. I'm going to hold this so you can see that one card in the entire deck is upside down. One card. Matt, you could have picked any card at all. One card. I'm going to turn this over. There it is. The three. Oh, is that your card? Yeah, oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, that's it. Oh, my God. Everybody picks the same card. It's great. So, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that's good. Oh, no, that's awesome. We appreciate that. And that's going to make really good content for all of our social media platforms. That'll be fun. So we, fun. we appreciate it. Uh, did you guys have anything else before we closed up? No, I don't have anything. Well, we really appreciate well, it's having It's great you on. to be here. Thanks. I hope you guys uh, decide that uh, to say, I'll be back. Yeah, well, this is the, <laughs> at the that's end. That's where we ask you, yeah. are you going to come back? I'll come back. Yeah, let's do this again. This is great. Okay, so, but at the end, obviously, we like to give the opportunity, mm -hmm. like, Talk to us uh, a little bit about your book and talk yeah, to us. Yeah, you if, want me to? People, sure. Yeah, and if people want to follow you, where the best place to go is to, to see you. Yeah, so best place, if you want to follow me, just go to hiking.com. couple of things. Uh, there's a little sign up at the bottom. Now, I promise you, I will not spam you. If you decide to put your name and email address in there, you will have instant access to my research that we do every year, and it's great. You'll get the stats like 
33 uh, percent of people cuss their <laughs> people yeah. out. Uh, how about this? Uh, I believe it's 48 percent of customers would rather go to the dentist than call customer support. Just saying, 33 percent would rather wait in line at a DMV than call customer. But anyway, you'll get better stats than that. Yeah. You'll understand the reasons people leave, what they're most excited about. So you'll get that free report. You'll get my newsletter, which has cartoons and great stuff every week. I promise you it's great content. And uh, if you want to follow me on YouTube, just go to shep.tv. Great place to go. And uh, I've got over 600 videos there and a lot to learn from those YouTube videos. Yeah. And I can vouch for the book. Brad and I both read it or listened to it. I'll be back. It's great. It's got a lot of stuff. I think the first part is definitely like your basics, but it just right. reinforces the basics, which you need. Foundational concepts. And then the mm -hmm. the second half or really the second, like two thirds of the book is a lot of things that you would have never thought of. Um, so I would highly suggest if you're a business owner or in any form of customer success or leadership, get the book, I'll be back. But uh, everybody should get it. That's right. The everybody. world should get this book. Well, the world listens to us. So <laughs> yeah. after that, watch those numbers skyrocket. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. My publisher is going to love me after today. Yes. Thanks to you guys. Yes. Shep Hyken, we appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yep.